0: Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered.
1: This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human
0: suffering and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to
1: have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club and enjoy the show.
0: Hey Valentina, hey Paula, and hello everybody,
1: and welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental.
0: Today we sat down with our close friend, the beautiful soul and extremely talented Kristen Giorgi to deep dive into her personal experiences with postpartum OCD and depression. We normalize the fact that most of us experience some mental health challenges despite what our social media might depict. And we go over the very real ways in which pregnancy and childbirth are a trauma for the body and why it's so important to validate and better understand this aspect
1: of the experience for women and for the partners who are accompanying them through it we specifically unpack and educate you guys on a type of OCD called harm OCD and we take you through a list of several other possible manifestations of OCD that extend far beyond the stereotypical depictions that the media has popularized, which have led to many misconceptions. So before we begin, take in a deep breath with us. And press play. Kristen Giorgi, welcome to Pretty Mental. Yes, hello. Hello, beautiful. We are
0: so happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, We've been wanting to do this episode for a long time now. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about it. Yep. And it feels super timely. Because a lot of people are definitely experiencing a spike in mental health challenges during this COVID situation that's been coupled with the mass awakening that we are experiencing to the realities of systemic racism and oppression. And our goal here is always to normalize that conversation Mm -hmm. and to help people realize that they're not alone. Yes, of course. Right. That's struggling with depression and anxiety and anxiety is part of the human condition Mm -hmm. it just it happens at different extents for everybody yes and we thought you'd be a great person to bring on and talk about your experiences with these things because especially because you are on the surface a little more public on social media Mm -hmm. and looking at your social media and your beautiful artwork everybody Kristen is an amazing (laughs) artist it would just seem
2: as if like your life is just beautiful of course like there's no problems, you know, I don't I don't spend a lot of time. And I think the reason I haven't done that a lot in the past is just sort of that feeling of not wanting to put any negativity out there, which is a little silly um because I think it's always good to let people know the true you. Nothing I put on there is inauthentic, it's just like kind of the the good stuff, you know? So, mm-hmm. it's definitely this is this is going to be nice and cathartic for me to speak up about something that's like definitely a darker part of my life. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And we honor so much that you are trusting us. Yes. Of with course. that.
2: So with I told that- you, Paula, I trust you with my life. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I said she it about 800 that. times last Saturday. So <laughs> when, when if you all ever Saturday. meet her, if you don't know her, you'll
0: know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. So, yeah, let's 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 jump right
2: into okay. it. Yeah. Cool. Um, Share with the listeners what your journey has been like. Of course. So I have been prone to depression, anxiety, um, all of my life. It's kind of something that's always been there. Early on, um, when I was in like grade school, is sort of when I first started to notice anxiety and things like that. And I was just trying to like figure out what it was. Of course, as a child, when it starts to creep in, you really, you don't really know how to articulate it or tell someone how you're feeling. It's just like maybe you would say nervousness. You know, there was always like a little bit of social anxiety and things like that. But I sort of attributed it a lot to the fact that I had, well, I was diagnosed with ADD. This is a conversation that we had. Sometimes the two are misdiagnosed, anxiety and ADD. And so I was diagnosed with ADD and they put me on Ritalin and Adderall and all these things. The medication was really great for studying and you know if I needed to take a test it was kind of a nice fix but it made me more anxious so you know now as an adult I realized that was not the drug for me if you're going to take anything but I think a lot of the struggle with that and feeling kind of different um when I was when I was younger and you know they would give me special things where I could take a test in a room by myself and when that was really nice it did it did make me feel kind of isolated there's no one else around me doing this So, I think part of that is sort of maybe what started the depression and things like that. So, and then I would say depression just creeped in and out. It was never, it was always just kind of like a dark shadow that followed me at certain times in my life. I would go through maybe a breakup or something would happen with school. And, you know, it was like a roller coaster, but I never really identified it as, you know, what it was and kind of faced it head on. So fast forward a little bit to my pregnancy, which was 2010, is when I got pregnant with Vivian, and of course I was so excited, but I, I had researched a bit about postpartum depression, you know, just because I knew I was prone to it, so it was kind of on my mind throughout the whole pregnancy, but at the same time, I was like, well, maybe I'll just be one of those lucky people that doesn't get it, you know? Thought about eating my placenta, which now I regret. Totally should have done that.
1: Oh wait, did you do that? No, I should have. Should have. Okay. If I
2: have another child, you better believe (laughs) I'm placenta eating that as soon as it comes out of my body (laughs) because it's just really supposed to stave off those things. Oh wow. Postpartum depression, big time. People swear by it. So I think when I had Vivian, I was just sort of creeped out by the whole idea a little bit, Um, so I didn't do it. But I do regret it because it might have helped me. But anyway, so pregnancy happened. My pregnancy was awful, like sick the whole time. You know, people are usually only sick in the first trimester. I was sick the entire time. I would wake up in the morning. If I didn't take a Zofran, which is like an anti-nausea pill, if I didn't pop it in my mouth before I lifted my head off the pillow, I'd be running to the bathroom. And this was all the way up to like till the end.
0: Oh, wow. Crazy.
2: So that obviously was like super depressing because I, not only, you know, was my body being taken over by this, by this human, but also I just always felt like I was in this fog of awfulness. Like I never felt good. You know, I felt sick the whole time. So I think that's probably where some of the depression started. Like if you can imagine like injuring yourself and you're in pain all the time, you know, people get depression from that. Well, mine was just like feeling sick all the time. So I think that's kind of like where it started. And then um, fast forward from there to when I actually had Vivian, and the labor was okay. It wasn't anything like too crazy. Um, I labored for about 18 hours, and then, um, it's kind of funny, they gave me an epidural, and at one point I started to feel the contractions again, and so I had them come back in and put more drugs in, and I think they overdid it, because you're supposed to be able to walk from the birthing table to the wheelchair to take you to recovery, and they couldn't even like I couldn't even stand up. Like my legs were just like too, Jellos. like yeah, like tree trunks, <laughs> just like that were completely paralyzed. So also because I think they gave me too much um, epidural, I think I overexerted my body when I was actually giving birth to her, and it like really messed me up. Mm. So then like recovery after that was really really hard too. So I did start nursing her, which I'm so glad I made that decision. It was like so nice and I actually oddly kind of miss it sometimes, which is weird. So we brought her home and that was always like the shock for every parent. You bring your ch- you know your baby home for the first time and you look back and you're like, "Seriously, y'all are going to let me do this right now?" Like, "You're not you're not going to can we stay for like another week?" <laughs> it like, was like, "Oh my god." It was like at that very moment. I mean, there's been moments before that in my life where I felt like an adult, but that was like okay, game on. I mean, I am not a child anymore. I am now in charge of this tiny little person. And that was so fucking scary to me. Just like the second I left the hospital, I was like, how do I, what do I, I'm not prepared for this. What do I do? And I think that feeling just kind of stuck with me for a while. And I started to notice in the first couple of weeks that I just felt, like I wasn't connecting with her there was just like this whole thing it was just like people would ask me aren't you so happy oh isn't this just the best time in your life and I literally felt like I was lying to everyone when I said yes because it was it just it didn't feel good it felt bad and that made me just feel like an awful person and I, I you know I knew about postpartum depression I knew it existed but I think all the things I was feeling felt so much more heightened I guess than any other type of depression I'd had in the past that I felt like it was taking itself to another place like a scarier place So, you know, I'm nursing her, I'm home with her, my family leaves, it's just us, and then that's kind of when the scarier kind of, you know, postpartum OCD kind of stuff started coming up, which I didn't know what that was at the time when it first started happening to me, but certain things like I would be giving her a bath and I would think in my head, what if she just drowns in this bathtub? or there would be a kitchen knife sitting on the table and i would think well what if what if she gets stabbed like not that i was going to do it necessarily but like the 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 vision or thought ran through my head mm-hmm. what if i what if i did that like what if what if john paul my ex what if he did that and every situation started to turn into me thinking of her dying and that was just constantly and when it first started, obviously I freaked out and I thought to myself, oh God, I'm one of those people, one of those moms that like drives their kid off the cliff or into the lake or drowns them in the bathtub. Like That was my automatic thought. I'm like, that's that's what I am. And I felt so alone, because I couldn't tell anybody. I wasn't ready to tell anybody about how I was feeling. And it took me, so we, she was born in October, And we went home to Ohio for Christmas. So it was like a few months later in December. And I remember sitting at my sister's house and uh, she had to run an errand. And I was there with Vivian and her kids. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be left alone with her. Like it started to get really bad to the point where I was scared of myself or like what I could possibly do to her. But that's the thing. It was always a possibly. It wasn't like... I'm I'm thinking I'm going to actually do this. It was always a what if I did this mm-hmm. which was the strangest part and so finally that day three months later I broke down to my sister and I was just like things are not right and I need to tell you about this stuff. Of course she was amazing and I sat everybody down. I sat my mom down. I sat my, my ex-husband down and sort of just told everybody what was going on and I'm so lucky to have such an amazing family, but of course, you know, right away, they they all just with open arms were like, we're not worried about you. We're not. And I'm like, but you guys, seriously, like these are the things I'm thinking. Like mm-hmm. this is what's happening in my brain. Like don't you want to lock me up? <laughs> like, that's what I actually said to them. And they're like, no, like this happens. You know, my mom knew about it. She kind of heard about it. So but I still didn't feel good. So I actually, that day, made my ex-husband drive me to a therapist. I don't know if she was psychiatrist or psychologist, but I made him find someone, like, right away that day and drove me there in a snowstorm. And I sat down with her, and she told me the same thing. And then after she told me that everything was going to be OK, but I just needed to get help, I felt better. So that's kind of, like, the gist of the story and kind of where it where it all started and then and then happened and then so when I got home back to Atlanta they put me on medication and things definitely started to like balance out a little bit and got better but yeah it was scary it was really really scary
0: yeah I mean that's uh, that's a terrifying experience for anybody to happen especially because you're already in such an anxious vulnerable Mm -hmm. place yep that you don't have you don't have the personal power or the peace of mind to really see what's going on. Exactly. And this is something we talk about. Well, postpartum depression is more often talked about and you said you did
2: experience that.
0: Yeah. But, uh, postpartum anxiety. Yeah.
2: Also anxiety and OCD. Yeah. And the OCD was like me just obsessing over the thought of her dying and What if I did it or what if I'm a part of that when, when, you know, when, if it could happen to her? I mean, there were so many things I would, her monitor, I told you guys the story, but her monitor had a a wire plugged into the thing and I, I didn't want to go check on her at night because I was worried that like somehow the wire would like strangle her. So I would like put it in another room. I would move Mm. things around the house to make sure that they wouldn't hurt her or harm her. So it was like I was doing these weird little ritual kind of a thing. Compulsions. Yeah, compulsions. So and I would still I would still obsess over. It. I'd be like, Well, I only put it in the other room. I should have put it a little bit further. I mean, it was it was like just spiraling.
0: Something you said when you were telling your story was that the strange thing for you was that it was never I'm definitely gonna do this or I'm planning no. to do this. It was a constant what if. It was always a what if. And that's what a lot of people What I hope to educate a lot of people on is that the way that OCD functions is, well, another word for OCD Mm -hmm. that is often used or term is the doubting disease Mm -hmm. and it attacks what you value. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. So for you, what you wouldn't have known in that moment is that the reason you are having these thoughts is because actually you value her life so much, right? And that's why it was so terrifying for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more that you engaged in the compulsions of trying to prevent it, mm-hmm. the more that it would send back the message back to your psyche that it yeah. was
2: real.
1: It was. Yeah. That's exactly how it was. Yeah. What's so terrifying for me is you said you went through it for three months. Yes. Is that you were able to push that.
2: Yeah. And I actually think that that's, I think people go for longer because
1: they're afraid to, to tell anyone. I was watching some videos before this mm-hmm. talk today and there were some women that can, cont- they kept saying, you know, when it, it lasts longer than two weeks, that's when it starts. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a minor depression. Right. Cause you get
2: the baby blues. Like that happens to a lot of people. So they call it, you know, when you come home and you're really weepy and that definitely happened to me. I would just cry all the time. I would just sit there and nurse her and cry. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great first couple of weeks home from the hospital. Um, but yeah, I mean the baby blues, but then after that, if it, if it continues, then you're, you're like, okay, well maybe I need to pay attention to this a little bit longer.
1: And it's so crazy because you would think that more people knew about this. And I remember the first time I ever heard about postpartum depression was because I accidentally picked up a book in the library Uh because I saw Cindy Crawford's face on it. Yeah. And it was just about postpartum depression. Yep. And then my mom started talking about it and she was like, I had that too, but no one oh no I mean no one talks about no. this. and it was I think like Brooke Shields maybe? oh Brooke that's what it was and then I, was thinking and then eyebrows, I yeah. remember
2: after that too I don't know much about it but I remember like Tom Cruise kind of like challenged her on it and was like um postpartum depression is not a real thing and I'm like Tom you need to sit the fuck down oh hell no <laughs> <You know>? like <laughs> that's crazy what you have no place to talk about this so I bet if we googled it we could find out what he actually said but yeah I think he like kind of came at her and was like this isn't a real thing and I think that had to do with like Scientology and stuff but dear God yeah but she was kind of one of the first like celebrities kind of to come out and talk about that kind of thing and And I guess start normalizing it
1: more and another thing that I heard was so much so many of these moms felt that guilt because they were saying this is supposed to be like the happiest time of my life and how can I look at this beautiful little child well they, they talked about two parts. There's one where you kind of feel disconnected from the child and mm-hmm. one where you feel disconnected from the rest of the world. But yep. the child is the only thing you do feel connected to. Yep. Um, did you have either one of those? Yeah. I d- I, honestly, I didn't want to be around her at yeah. all. I, w- I
2: felt better when I wasn't with her because, A, I couldn't hurt her. And, B, I just – I think that sense of a loss of freedom, too, was really hard for me. I'm a very independent person. And I was like, this is it. This is my life. Like, I'm never going to be the same again. It just completely, everything changes. Like, you know, people get married and they're like, oh, does it feel different? No, nothing ever feels different when you get married.
1: When you have a baby, your entire life changes forever. Wow. And that's a whole, that's an entire, that's another layer to that as well of feeling suffocated because now... You can no longer worry about yourself, especially in a moment where you're the most vulnerable. Yes. Where you're like, I need to worry about myself right now. Yes. But you can't even. And
2: I didn't. And I was I was silly, too. I should have probably something I learned about when I moved down here with all y'all Southern folk mm-hmm. is um, like night nurses and things like that. People get night nurses or, I, sh- you know, I should have had my mom stay longer. I just I was always afraid to ask for help. And that's something that I've gotten so much better about in life, but I would just say advice for any women that, you know, plan to have children one day or are pregnant, do not be afraid to ask for help. Take it all and don't feel bad about it for a second. I just didn't, I didn't ask for enough. I needed more help and I didn't ask and I just wanted to take it all on myself. I didn't know if I wanted to prove something to myself maybe, but it was definitely, you know, looking back, I wish I had seen
1: that more clearly that I could have asked. That was one of the main things that a lot of these women were talking about as well is mm-hmm. what got them through this finally, when they were finally able to reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to talk to their husband or their families because they didn't want them to think they were crazy yeah. or they, no one was going to understand. Or have, like you think, they are they going to take the child away from me? Yeah, that's what they would say I mean, as well. I did yeah. have
2: John Paul at one point and he'll remember this too. I'm sure he'll listen to this, but I said to him at one point, or no, I'm sorry. He said to me, you need to let me know if you think you're really going to hurt her. Wow. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) Like It just got really real. And he wasn't, he wasn't doing it in an, he was being so kind of, I mean, he just, he didn't know what I was feeling. How could he, you know, there was no way he could feel the same things that I was going through. But Just the fact that he had to ask me that was terrifying, and I thought I was still in it. So I thought, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. No, but also, what if? What if? Exactly. What if? Because that's where that's
0: where that's where the OCD gets you. Mm -hmm. I'm actually really glad that the type of OCD that you're talking about is harm OCD, Mm -hmm. because that's the scariest one for people to talk about. Yeah, they're afraid of going to a therapist's office and saying, "Hey." I'm thinking my mind keeps telling me that I may hurt somebody yeah. or that I may hurt myself. Of course. Because the first thing that you always hear associated with that is getting sent off to a mental institution. Oh, I
2: thought that was what was it was uh, my life was done. Like I, you know, it was like what do they say? Impending doom, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was always it always felt like there was doom coming my way. That's another word that I like sticks out like crazy to me still when I think back about it is just doom. And one of the differentiating
0: differentiating factors that we use mm-hmm. to help determine whether it's OCD or not is if those thoughts scare you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If those thoughts scare you, then it's probably OCD. Yes. And I would tell anybody that's listening that think that are that's struggling with this or any or knows anybody that's struggling with harm OCD, whether it's postpartum mm-hmm. OCD or not, try to find a therapist that specializes in OCD because a lot of therapists that just work with regular anxiety aren't going to know how to handle it. Yep. And if you tell them you're thinking of killing yourself mm-hmm. and it's terrifying you, they could actually put you on suicide watch and yes. that's going to make it even worse. For sure. Because that's exactly what the OCD uses to tempt you is the possibility that you might mm-hmm. do that. And yeah. when other people outside of you start affirming it instead
2: of challenging it, it feeds into it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, during the whole thing, I before I spoke to anybody, started Googling things, because as we do, when we feel like we have a problem, even though we know we shouldn't be doing it. And what pops up psychosis, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, well, I kind of feel this, but like, definitely not this, you know, and the, the main thing that stuck out, like you just said, was that you know, psychosis is completely different where you really don't think you have a problem. I mean, and I was literally going to my family and saying, it's time to lock me up. <laughs> but someone with psychosis is never going to think that they have a problem. They actually feel like what they're doing or what they're, some, you know, a voice is telling them to do is actually like a good thing. Mm-hmm. So it's more like they don't, they don't feel the doom. No. You know, it's I- more... So that's the, that's the difference. And yeah. obviously, psychosis is so much more rare, but ooh.
0: You guys hear the thunder? It's a beautiful thunderstorm happening here. Wow. That's crazy. When you said doom. Doom. <laughs> that happens to me a lot. You know, I say a crazy
2: word and things break. Or, the you know.
0: doom. Yeah, I've had a, dun, dun, dun. I've, I've had a few clients uh, that presented with psychosis, and it's exactly that. Oh, you have had a fear. yeah, and I, I stood <clears throat> no chance of telling them that their perception of rea- of helping them challenge it mm-hmm. no chance. There's just insight is extremely rare, right? Uh, so it's actually it can be pretty hard to even get those folks on medication mm-hmm. or in treatment. It's usually the the only reason that I've had clients that presented with that was because they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And or in their early 20s and their parents still had some kind of influence in their lives. So their parents brought them in. Mm -hmm. But folks with OCD come in terrified.
2: (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah, that was me. I was just eyes wide for, you know, the next three months. And then, of course, once I got home and got with a great doctor and he put me on everything and it just it was like my life changed completely two weeks after I just started telling everybody. Yeah. It just got so much better. And then I was able to enjoy and be with my child and not feel like a crazy person. And so it just took a little longer, I guess, than some people. But I got there for sure.
1: What do you wish other women knew about postpartum depression? Maybe if you're speaking to women who are pregnant right now mm-hmm. or they may be in the middle of it or in the beginning of it. Right. Right. I guess um,
2: mostly just listen to, your, li- like, listen to yourself afterwards. Like, take care of yourself. Like I said before, ask for help. Let people take care of you, dote over you. Um, listen to how you feel. Like, You know, think about it. You've got to think about the baby, but if you can't, if you are not healthy yourself, you're not going to be able to
1: take care of your baby. And another thing that keeps coming up to, when you were talking the whole time is community.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: always turn back to that in this podcast. Yeah. And especially when you're having a baby, just how it used to be back in, in and they still have it in some tribes. Sure, When you have a baby, the whole tribe comes together to help mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or the mothers
0: take turn nursing each other's kids. Yeah, Sorry. totally. As humanity, our species is so tribal. Mm-hmm. We're meant to be in community. I mean, you even said it that your first tastes of depression probably arose from the isolation yeah of when you had ADD and they had
2: to start putting you in a separate room to test absolutely and anytime I felt like I was losing it a little bit in any situation I guess it has a lot to do with control too that was when you know the the all the depression would kind of creep in
0: well depression and anxiety take turns with each other
2: yeah a lot. They like to play with they, each other. Mm-hmm, Go yeah, back.
0: <laughs> literally, they're like cousins. Yeah, because if we're anxious, being anxious all the time is not something that our body can sustain because mm-hmm. it's just so intense and yeah. like those stress hormones cursing through your system. It's just it's not going to work. So a lot of times, depression comes in as like a protective function mm-hmm. to slow everything down mm-hmm. because our nervous system will be tired of Absolutely. operating at that level.
1: Do you think that your ex learned about the situation in a way that, like, what what do we want to tell men? Like, what would yeah, he say? Okay, you think? I
2: it, I will say 100%, he was so supportive of, and, I mean, we can go ahead and sit here and say he should be, but it's like, it's scary for them too. And I think, I do believe men can kind of go through a little bit of this as well. I've spoken to other dads in the past that, or, or, you know, my ex would say one of our friends had a baby and he would say his friend, the dad, was having a really hard time connecting with the child. And that definitely happens. And he and I kind of had to talk about that when we first brought her home. Like, because a lot of the time, especially if the mother's nursing, she is going to be spending most of the time with the child. Like, the dad can't really do as much for the child if she is exclusively nursing, because the child is attached to you twenty four seven when you first in the first like month or so, you know if you're able to start pumping and you know you can he can give a bottle at night or whatever that kind of helps, but mostly it's just all on the mom. a lot of it is there are just some things that the father cannot do, and one of them is feeding the child if you decide to exclusively nurse. So I think that sometimes puts dads into a little bit of a situation too. Like when they feel helpless or they don't feel needed. And then it's hard for them to bond with the child in that way. So it definitely happens with men as well. But he was very supportive of me once this all came out. He was scared too. And he, of course, I would have been scared if like, someone had come to me and been like, I'm scared I'm going to hurt our kid. Like, not knowing anything about it before. Because it's not like he would have, like, sat there and researched it before we had a child. Like, oh, Kristen's pregnant. Better research postpartum depression and OCD, you know? So he is just like I wasn't exactly sure what it was. But he was so great with it.
0: Yeah, as you were talking about your story of... uh Coming home and feeling so vulnerable, yeah, and in those first two weeks, everyone asking you if if this wasn't the most beautiful time in your life yeah, I'm sitting here thinking that that is it and we've come we're we're coming a, a long way right now in questioning that there's a lot of women that are challenging that narrative mm-hmm. however, as you' were explaining it, I'm over here thinking to myself like, why do we even assume that that would be a woman's best time in her life? Yeah. When your body has just been
2: wreaked havoc on. Totally. You just went through straight up trauma. Trauma. I mean, you can have a great birth. It's still trauma at the end of the day. And a lot of times people have little things during it where they have to have like a emergency C-section and that's traumatic. You know, like we kind of, sort of discount all these things and and leave them out a little bit
0: absolutely it's like
2: after you have the baby everybody just wants to talk about all the happy things and we're like wait a minute but what has just happened was pretty fucked up (laughs) 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 can we talk about that (laughs) so I think and then you're, you're able to well again I was so I'm so lucky to be blessed with have such a wonderful family but I can't imagine being in that situation and just having no one to go to Mm. so or yeah or being in an
0: abusive relationship and
2: yeah where I didn't have you know if I hadn't had a supportive spouse to kind of get me through it and tell me that everything was going to be okay and such a hands on dad too that's the other thing he was like and still is such a hands on incredible father so I never had to worry about If I needed time for me, especially once I got the diagnosis, it was like he just always knew what to do. And it was so great. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was really lucky for that. Yeah, so the body gets wreaked
0: havoc on. Yeah. It's trauma. Mm -hmm. And then it's an immediate turnaround to have to literally be responsible for another
2: life. Right. You don't have time to recover from one thing to the next like there's no there's no transition it's just like once your water breaks it's go it's boom 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 there's no okay wait hold on can I have like one day in between this (laughs) just got over the hospital literally one day take the baby and like I'll see you in a day (laughs) you know figure it out there's no there's no break after that point it's it shakes you up for sure I'm surprised not everyone has this
1: I mean, I'm just, that's what I'm wondering here is, are people who have more of a history of depression and anxiety, are they more, I'm sure they are more sure. prone. For sure. But can you be, you know, not have any depression or anxiety and then it comes? you have a baby and then you get postpartum? Yes, that yeah. is possible.
0: I mean, I mean, and to be honest, I have yet, and maybe that's because I'm a therapist. So yeah. as soon as people find out I'm a therapist, everybody wants to tell me Yeah, of course. <laughs> the next few words it, out of their mouth. Yeah. Are, But I have yet to meet another human being. I just haven't. Like, Uh please dial in (laughs) to our non-existent (laughs) hotline. (laughs) I have yet to meet another human being that has not experienced anxiety or depression. Yeah. On some level. And
2: the the people that tell me they don't, I've had someone recently say, I've just, you know, I haven't had anything in my life that's really shaken me up. or, Or I don't think I've ever had depression. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But I also... It's confusing because I.
1: Are we I don't this? compute. You're,
2: are
1: we? Are we both living Can on you Earth? Explain more, sir. I just think that they. It'll. It, it's gonna come to you at some point. You might. It might happen when you're 50. Yeah. When all of a sudden you find more responsibilities than you ever had, of or course. whatever.
2: When you go through something in your life, something hard. I mean, it doesn't always have to be that. And we sort of talked about. Calling it a chemical imbalance, right? And you said, "Oh, when we were talking about, I this want you other to day. tell me what you said after <laughs> we were talking about it." But because I think I made the comment, sometimes it just pops up. You could be your life could be great. You really you didn't go through a breakup, you didn't have a baby, like whatever, somebody didn't die, and all of a sudden you're just like, "I hate my life," and I don't know wh- wh- why. Why is this happening? Yeah. So I used to call that a chemical imbalance, but you kind of well, brought insight to that.
0: Well, and here's the thing: like, sometimes it is that.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, that's rare, though. Mm -hmm. That's that's more like the rare situation. That's what people don't understand. Like, it's like um, I wish I had the percentage right right off the top of my head, but it's a very very small percentage. You're just not identifying it. Yeah, there's a very very small percentage of people that genuinely are experiencing experiencing a psychological distress that has nothing to do with the context of their environment. Mm -hmm. It's more so an it's an interaction between the environment and our genetics. Mm-hmm. So, it's called epigenetics. Mm-hmm. We are all born with a genetic code, mm-hmm. and that genetic code doesn't just auto, doesn't determine how everything shows up in our life. Yeah, it gets turned on or off by the environment. So somebody can um, Bruce Lipton talks about this a lot. He's a scientist, mm-hmm. and in the metaphor he uses is that. We, we can say that the genetics are let's say where you, your car okay yeah but you actually need to put the key in the car it's not just the ignition is just not going to turn on by itself right so it's a multi-directional thing mm-hmm. somebody goes through a stressful experience so i could have underlying ocd mm-hmm. right now and i i've tasted it at different times in my life sure but i haven't experienced something that is traumatic enough to completely set it off right I mean, if we just look at our family history, me, mine and Valentina's, there's a good amount of OCD in sure. there. And when people go through challenging experiences, we all have our underlying genetic predispositions mm-hmm. for what may or may not be turned on. Sure. But it's not just that you're, it's going to definitely get turned on because right. it runs in your family. Mm-hmm. If there's enough protective factors in place, to account for that. So for example, if you know that you have a history of anxiety in your family, then maybe if you're going to have a child, make extra sure that you're going to have community around you. Right. Make extra sure that you're eating healthy. Absolutely. Because it's a multidirectional thing. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying the other day is that so many of us are walking around with this narrative that I'm broken, that there's an imbalance, that there's something wrong with me. And something that i find myself repeating a lot even more so recently mm-hmm. is that you can't expect an organism to be healthy in an unhealthy ecosystem right
2: so true you it's just so true you can't yeah and with all of this uh, one thing i wish i had done is just like research it a little bit more but i kind of have always been one of those people like ah, it won't happen to me i always have felt like a little protected Anything can happen to any of us. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, the OCD stuff, I definitely, looking back after the pregnancy brought it out and kind of exacerbated the whole thing, I started to think back once I got a little healthier, like, has this always kind of been there? Yeah. And I just didn't recognize it because it wasn't like a human life I was trying to like, you know, protect yeah. in the midst of all of it. So I was able to kind of ignore it a little bit. But then I thought back, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of, like, obsess about things sometimes, like, to the point where it's a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) This is questionable. This is questionable. Even little things. And I mean, a lot of people do this. But I have driven back an hour once because I thought I left, like, a curling iron on. Yeah, that's textbook. And I knew I didn't. I knew I turned that shit off. Can
1: I be real,
0: real quick? Did you yeah. do that too?
1: Okay. One time I was going to go on a run and I, I left something. I don't know what it was. And I was like, okay, I either finished this run or I let my house burn down. And I can't believe I literally was like, let it burn. I was like, I'm probably just thinking too much into this. This runs great. So Fuck I was it. like, I know. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to just... Just see what happens. Let it bird, baby. But I remember as I was running back home, I was like, fuck, why did I do that? Why did I do that? <laughs> but no, I've definitely also, I mean, I I've played with OCD. Yeah. And fire is a big thing for me. Yeah. I'm afraid of fire. Yeah.
0: I your your thing, Kristen, as you're talking, is like anything that puts anybody else in danger, danger. I think. Which surprises me zero oh percent because God. you're such a loving human. <sighs>
2: <laughs> she's like I'm exhausted can someone take some of this love away? <laughs> I'm exhausted yeah no it is you're right it's always been surrounded by that kind of thing like don't leave this out it could like you know if there's kids around like don't leave something out that could it's constant it's all the time and it's not. To, it's not at this point in my life to the point where it feels like I need more more help because yeah. I'm aware of it. It's manageable. I'm like, okay, creeps in. All right, you just need to relax. It's all good. What's the worst that could happen, kind of a thing? So, but yeah, I mean, it's still there. It's mm. always going to be there. Yeah. It's never
1: going to go away. OCD is such an interesting thing to me because I remember when I did have it growing mm-hmm. up, it locks your brain. Uh huh. You can't think no, of anything else. You, you can't. Forget you can't. it. I had this thing where I would have to like, and I don't know if this is going to be <clears throat> triggering for any, I mean, our, hello, we're long past that. Yeah. We're very real on this podcast, totally. but I would drop something and I would have to like touch where it dropped like mm-hmm. a few times Yeah. or I, I, or I would like step on like the next sidewalk. You know what I mean? Like step yep. on one crack with one foot, yep. that whole thing. But I couldn't not do, like I had to do it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, Paul, what is some insight with that? Like, why? Give us some more chemistry That reminded me of something, too,
2: but say that, (laughs) and then I want to say something, too. Well,
0: here's the thing that I want people to understand is that anxiety and OCD are a spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's not a black and white thing. No. It's not just, oh, you have OCD or you don't, or you have anxiety or you don't it's it you can move along that line and if your life gets a little more stressful and you already are moving on that continuum you might find yourself dipping more into the ocd spectrum now some brains at some point if you experience a certain stressor or something just clicked in your brain you might in general stay more on the ocd side but i mean what you were saying valentina is just basically it's a it's just a compulsion yeah and I guess it never got to the point where it had to be challenged because you overcame it.
1: My brother, I remember, told me that if I kept doing what I was doing, he was (laughs) gonna—I was gonna get locked up in a room full of pillows. (laughs) And he really—and he was like, "You're gonna—it's gonna gonna be an all-white room full of pillows. You're gonna (sighs) yell and try to like—it's just gonna be miserable." And I think that really, really scared me. Yeah. Um. It was a little traumatizing, but that's
0: what—that's what made you stop
1: maybe i still feel it i yeah. still feel it sometimes it can in. it can creep but i i challenge it mm-hmm. i'm sure. like not gonna do that
2: right well and that's the whole thing is what they you know what is it called the type exposure of therapy and response
1: prevent or um uh, exposure and response prevention yeah kind of like they expose you to it expose you to it yeah, yeah.
2: so i did a l- I, you know i did a little bit of that with uh, my
1: therapist What what were you going to say, though, in addition to? Oh,
2: just I was I wanted to talk about misconceptions about OCD. Like most people that maybe haven't experienced it or haven't researched it or don't know somebody that has it can think because this is overused all the time. If you're neat and tidy Mm -hmm. or you are afraid of getting sick or you're a germaphobe, that is usually what is linked to when you say OCD. And that's not always what it is I'm a I'm a fucking mess I can't keep anything straight you don't want me to organize your house I also wash my hands after I go to the bathroom but you know I'm not like sitting there washing them all day long I'm not a germaphobe by any means but I have OCD mm-hmm. so it's like if I said that out loud the person that I'm talking to might think right away oh because she's like super tidy and t- type a and all this stuff it's not the case.
0: Well, yeah, I'm really glad. it's not the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad you 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 said that because mm-hmm. that is the popular uh, stereotype mm-hmm. of OCD that's been perpetuated by the media. Yes, and though some people can manifest OCD in that way. Yes, that's just one subset of it. One subset. Yes. One subset of it. The other subset is harm OCD. Mm-hmm. It could it could be I'm I may hurt somebody. Yes. I may or may not hurt somebody. Yes.
2: Or I may or may not hurt myself. Right. Like I still think sometimes when I'm driving down the highway, what if I just ran into the other side of the road? What would happen?
0: Yeah. I still think that kind of shit. Totally. Another one is asymmetry. Mm-hmm. And it, that was more like what you were describing and like a just right feeling. Mm-hmm. where It's like I have to just touch until I just feel that it's right. That's mm-hmm. like the just right OCD. Yeah. Um, and you have to learn to just sit with the sensation of it. Another one is like counting and numbers. Mm
2: -hmm. There's quite a variety of it. It's so interesting, honestly, because, yeah, there's this whole spectrum.
0: Yeah, because everybody's content is going to be specific to them. Mm -hmm. And it's usually dependent on what they value. Right. That's OCD comes in and grabs you in the things that you value. and. We could think about it as like your brain's roundabout way of trying to keep you safe. Right. It's ultimately, if we kind of get down to the core of it, although CD, when we're experiencing it feels like the scary monster that is just trying to haunt us Mm -hmm. and bully us. It's a part of you.
2: It's actually not a, it's not an awful thing. If you can, you know, identify it within yourself and embrace it and take it in and make it part of you and decide how you want to own it then it can actually be not an awful thing especially like now that I'm just thinking about this a little bit more I'm sure it helps me with my work it's an obsession it's like I can stare at it for 30 minutes and I'm guess being OCD about it a little bit yeah. but it gets me to the place where I need it to be so I've was maybe given this for a reason. You know, you got to think of it in that way, I guess.
0: Well, you've learned to channel it, mm-hmm. which is yes. where a lot of the power of it comes in for all of us. I always say that our greatest strength
2: can also be our greatest weakness. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's probably that's true it's for all of us. Tr- it's 100% true. And once you can start identifying those and spinning them in the right way is when you can finally feel like a little free. Mm
0: I guess. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. just knowing that these things even exist. Yes. That you're not the only human out there that's experiencing it. Absolutely. I think it's a super huge relief. Mm -hmm. Especially, I really do say this, especially when you're dealing with harm OCD. Yeah. Because that one... It's terrifying.
2: It is absolutely terrifying Mm -hmm. to constantly be thinking about death
1: Mm -hmm. or... And I would imagine that the shame on top of that probably exacerbates it. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's, you know, the, the whole shame thrives in secrecy. Mm-hmm. If you're able to just, for anyone who's listening, you know, just speak about it, tell someone about it. Of course. Cause you're really not the only one. Mm-mm.
2: And you know, when I do talk about it with people and people that have never had a child or have never heard of harm OCD, uh, People are always very receptive to it, which is interesting because obviously when I had it, I thought, oh, my God, if I ever talk about this, like, people are just start monster. writing me off. Yeah, I'm a monster. But it's really, you know, once you get the conversation started, it just you can be freeze free. humans yeah. out. Because
0: all of our brains do very strange things when left alone and under stress.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, we Absolutely. all have our things that, like, whatever genetic predisposition turns on, we all have something. Yes. Whether, and the interesting thing is that the, the, the structure of OCD, the pattern which is an intrusive thought urge, um, an intrusive thought or urge comes mm-hmm. in and then you meet it with a compulsion to try to bring that anxiety down. Yes. Is the same exact pattern that takes place in eating disorders? Yes. And it's the same exact pattern that takes place in any kind of addiction. Right. Any substance abuse. Well
2: and the compulsion is like a part of trying to control, right? Yeah. So you're to, yeah so to try to, to artificially try to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move things around or I'm going to put something in a strange place. Or mm-hmm. yeah. or
0: I'm gonna like make sure that if I go into the kitchen, I'm nowhere near the knife. Yeah. So like the treatment in that sense would be literally I've had other therapists I haven't personally done this with a client yet. Mm-hmm. I haven't had to. Um, where they'll have a knife in session. Totally, sitting with, on the table, mm-hmm, stare with at With the client it. just like... A, a, How does and, this make you feel? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I feel like I
2: would be like, I hate you with my yeah. whole guts. Yeah. I feel betrayed. That's, you know, and I was afraid to give Vivian a bath every time. And I would make John Paul do it. And he started to be like, are you gonna give her a bath? Like, I know you do everything else, but like, maybe you give her a bath tonight? And that was part of the therapy. It was like, you're not going to do it, See, so you got to do the baths because mm-hmm. you've got to do, the more you do it, the more the fear is going to go away, mm-hmm.
1: right? Were you the one who told me this or I saw it in a YouTube video, but there was a therapist who had his clients actually, he would ask his clients to hold a knife up to his neck.
2: Yeah, I told wow. That, where
1: the blade would be touching the neck. Wow. And they would, like, cry and yell. And he's like, I can't, I can't. And he would just be like, trust he knew, me. He knew they were going to do he it. it. He knew it. He knew it. He knew how the Until brain works. Until that one person does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Damn. It's, but, yeah, he, that's pretty... Wow. That's, like, you love what you do when yeah. you
1: really want to help someone that much. You know, like, I don't think I would, I would do that neck. to as someone who told me they didn't have OCD. Yeah, I don't
2: know. But
1: <laughs> he he just he knew like our brains work in ways that we don't even know about yeah that's why there's so many like the self-help industry is so big and the wellness industry industry all of these things because we're all just trying to cope with the things that of course like the external world external world but Mm -hmm. how our brains deal with all of these things absolutely Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and also while we're listing them off body dysmorphic disorders another Mm -hmm. version of OCD yep which I've also dealt with Mm -hmm. in my life yeah, I've, I've dealt with it, too. Continue to do. Yeah. I think that one's become, that one is probably a lot more common manifestation in women. For sure. Than we think it 100%. is. A hundred percent.
2: And I'm my hope for the next generations, you know, my daughter's generation, is that a lot of this shit can just start dying. And I think it will. Like we see different bodies and well, ads and, like for you know, all this stuff. And I, th- I'm, I'm. My hope is that it starts going away. You know, unfortunately, we kind of grew up where grandparents, mm-hmm. mothers, they all. <laughs> yeah. It's just passed down, passed down, passed oh, yeah. down. And I think this, our generation now, we're kind of like enough. Yeah. Like for or sure. At least I feel like that with her. I'm like enough. Yeah. She will never hear me speak badly about my body or hers or hers. Yeah. Like, how do I end this? Yeah. How do we start getting this, you know, and on the right track? And, body dismo- and just to be clear, body dysmorphic
0: disorder definitely also happens in men. I don't want to... Oh, inf- yeah. oh, my God, all the time.
2: Yes, 100%. Yeah. It's a roundabout thing. It's not thing. just women. Eating disorders, all of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Listen, the human being under the amount of stress and agitation that our current modern brains are constantly bombarded with mm-hmm. in this society is gonna show it, it like the stress is gonna spill out one way or another mm-hmm. so I think if we really want to challenge this these mental health um, epidemics mm-hmm. it, it really takes us moving towards a simpler life I mean, that's just my opinion hundred percent
1: yeah because when you look at you know when we interviewed Nora who she lived with the tribes in the Sierra in Colombia they no one had any of these. No one had OCD. No one had schizophrenia. No one had any of these sure, things. Sure. What happened is anytime someone would show any kind of symptom symptoms that, that were maybe showing like distress, they would like bring them into the tribe, into the community, yep. or they would actually be like, What do you know that we don't know? Sure. What do you, you it, it's also yeah. normalized. So, it's just part of the human experience.
2: Right. A lot of this has come upon us from societal influences we've medicalized I mean, it's it. really just we've been bombarded with so much that all of these issues have kind of come out of that
0: yeah so for now until we can create massive societal change which I mean seems to be happening This yeah. COVID-19
2: era no, I do think I maybe I'm just such an optimist but I do think this is the beginning I think a lot of good things are happening in the midst of all of this chaos. Yeah. I do see a lot of magical, wonderful things going on at the same time. So,
0: yeah. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, a big question that we can ask ourselves too, in hearing your story and in the things that Valentina and I always bring up, is like, how much can we all just come around each other Mm -hmm. and be there for each other and make sure that there, if you notice that there's a human, Hurting, even mm-hmm. if you're not that close to them. Like, what can we all do to make sure that nobody's feeling left out?
2: Absolutely. Yep.
0: So, back to community. Mm-hmm. But all right,
2: we're at time. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. This has been so nice.
1: Absolutely. Yes. We have to ask our final question. Yes. Is this is something we ask all of our guests? Okay. Is what does mental health mean to you?
2: <sighs> oh gosh. Mental health to me, I guess it means listening to yourself, being true to yourself and your thoughts, being kind to yourself, and keeping your keeping your, your mind, your whole body healthy. I mean, that contributes to sometimes a lot of our mental health issues is, you know, we're not eating properly, we're not exercising. Um, a lot of these things can, can stave off a lot of our issues. So for me, just because I know it creeps in, I, you know, I try to I keep a very healthy lifestyle. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you keep your body, your vessel healthy, um, you know, you're you're also going to keep your brain healthy. So, yeah. I don't know. Is that a good answer? Oh, I love that answer. And everyone who
1: listens to this knows I love that answer. And you yeah. know I do because I am so with it. Like your vessel impacts. Your vessel like your don't mind. Put, I
2: mean and I do, trust me. I put some garbage in my body sometimes. We all but do it sometimes. At the end of the day, the good I'm doing to it outweighs the the naughtiness sometimes. So, it does. Because yeah. you're
1: taking some pressure away from if you are prone to anxiety or depression or exactly. anything putting in sugar putting in anything that you know maybe shouldn't be there is going to exacerbate and bring about the anxiety or the depression or the body dysmorphia disorder or any of it
2: being good to yourself and kind to yourself is just always going to make everything better especially right now that's just like the one thing I think can't say enough of it's okay to be a little selfish right now and that's the wrong word I think what's a better word than that
0: well, you know, I think I would also self-aware, <laughs> self-aware, self-aware. Self- I would, I I also like to challenge self, selfishness seeing, being seen as a bad word. Like I'd like for okay, for us to, so to, we, okay. to take it back Just and like hold it in
2: a different light. Let it not have a negative connotation. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 Cause well, I see be so selfish.
0: Many, <laughs> be self <so, laughs> yeah, like as long as you're not harming anybody, actually, I would, yeah. You know, there's a balance. There's mm-hmm. a balance. I think we've, like, demonized that word so much that I I see so many humans just being afraid of putting themselves first. Yeah. And in reality, it's like, actually, if you allow yourself to be a little selfish,
2: you're actually going to be able to love other you're people. You're going to be a better human fairly. all around. It's mm-hmm. just true. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, love. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah,
1: thank you for honoring oh. us with your story. <laughs> you're welcome. We love you so much. I love
2: you too, guys.
1: And remember pretty mental fam to be kind to yourself just like Chris yes, said be kind and don't forget to tune in every monday at 6 a.m est for new episodes bye